as we start going through this and, and just kind of recapping, um, and we talk from the last two weeks, so we're all still on the same page and we're all tracking together, uh, we defined it. Temptation is the enticement to worship, love, and serve the created rather than the creator. So the temptation, just so we're all on the same page, any temptation is trying to pull us away from what God has for us and what God wants for us and instead replace God with something else and to put something else as the priority of life. And most of the time, it's us that ultimately is the created thing that we're looking to worship instead of God. Last week, we also processed through this and we said that every temptation, right, will only be effective. Okay, this worked once and now it ain't working. This is like reminiscent of the first time I preached here. All right, it ain't working and I got a light, so I don't know what the deal is. So I will ask you to move it forward if you don't mind. All right, so if you want to go to the next one. So every temptation will only be effective when it's united with a lie that has been accepted and followed by us, right? This is the thing that we're going to process through today. The only way temptation has any authority in our lives is when we allow it to be connected to a false belief or a lie that is inside of us, and we choose to follow that instead of following the truth of God. That is what the whole temptation is about, to choose to follow something else than the truth of God. We, we saw that last week when we processed through uh, the, the first temptation, right? God laid out, this is what you're supposed to do. Don't eat of this tree. Satan comes with the temptation, and he sows doubt, and he brings a lie into Eve's thinking. Did God really say, let's question the truth, Then he flat out lies. You will surely not die if you eat of this. In fact, he goes on with the lie. You will become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. As soon as the temptation unites with the lie and we choose to follow, this is when we succumb to sin. And we give in to the sin in our lives and we end up starting to drift away from God. So this morning we're going to take a few minutes to process through understanding strongholds. The Bible talks a great deal about strongholds, and I want us to make this link and understand what a stronghold is in our lives. Now, to maybe help understand this, do I have any risk players? Anybody anybody play risk? Anybody? I'm purposely asking because I love risk, and if anybody wants a game, let's go. Like, I have not had a good risk game in like 10 years. So um, I'm just throwing that out there. But risk, if anybody doesn't know what risk is, risk is the greatest board game of all time. Okay, because it's all about world domination. It's about taking over the world. Okay, and that's literally what it is. You have the board, which is a map of the world, and what you're trying to do is take your armies and take over everything, control everything. Now, I'm bringing this up because one of the um, best strategies of risk is so. Each part of the map is broken up into continents. You have North America, South America, Europe, you have Asia, you have all the different continents. And if you control all of the countries in the continent, you get more troops. That's what you want. More troops means you can then take over the board faster. So you want to control continents, but you don't want anybody else to to hold and control a continent. Now I share all this so we understand what a stronghold is in, in this idea of warfare. When you're playing risk, when you see one of your opponents 
start to capture a continent, and especially if they do take over a continent, one of the smartest things you can do is to develop a stronghold. Meaning, you pick one of their weakest countries in that continent, and you take it over, and then you try to build up your army in it so they can't take it back. Because what you're doing is, is you're controlling their ability to strengthen themselves and to be effective in coming against you. You're weakening their position. And if you weaken their position over time, you can eventually take your stronghold and spread it out to be able to defeat them and to control them. This is what a stronghold is in the negative context of Scripture. God tells us that we have to watch and beware of strongholds in our lives because what they are is they're places in us that the enemy wants to invade so that he can weaken your position. And then as he controls that part of your life, he will begin to fortify that stronghold and build that stronghold and make it stronger and more effective so that he can then slowly spread himself throughout your life and eventually not just weaken you, but defeat you. This is why the Bible talks about things like don't give the enemy a foothold. A foothold is when you give him access to an area of your life and then he wants to build a stronghold. As he builds a stronghold, you become powerless to do anything about that. That's what we're going to process this morning. Now, Strongholds. Now, here's the thing. Now, this might differ than, than from other people's thinking or maybe something else that you've heard. And I'm not saying it's in contradiction to it, but I'm going to give you my take on it. Many times we think that strongholds are our sinful behavior. Like maybe a person would say, well, I have a stronghold of addiction. Or I have a stronghold of anger. Or I have a stronghold of unforgiveness right? Uh, Whatever it is, we try to make the stronghold be the behavior. I truly believe that the stronghold is not the sinful behavior. Instead, the stronghold is the occupied territory of lies that the enemy has in your life that he then uses to manipulate sinful behavior. Right? Because as Christians, many times what we focus on is we focus on our behavior, but we don't get to the root cause of things. We spend all of our time looking at what we're doing instead of spending time asking the question, why am I doing it in the first place? Here's one of the things I learned as uh, we used to do Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery, dealing with people with addiction is many times at some point in time in the process, people have to really dig in deep to their thought processes and their belief system, and they really have to do some cleaning up of that stuff before they can overcome the addiction. The reason, because if we don't do that and come to asking the questions why we do things, normally what happens is a person feels like they overcome the addiction, but most cases... They usually just replace the addiction with a different addiction. Right? Because the lie is still there feeding this behavior, this thought process, this belief system. So you have people that are, I've overcome my addiction of alcohol, but they usually just replaced it with some other kind of harmful addiction. Because the lie is still there. The stronghold is still there. They're still being manipulated. 
This is important as we talk about overcoming temptation and what we're going to talk about today because many of us, if we stop and think about it, there's a possibility that our Christian lives just feel like a constant cycle of ups and downs. Right? God kind of reveals some stuff to us. We get excited. Maybe we go to a retreat or we come to a special service or we do something that God really stirs in us and we get really excited about our faith and we get excited about growing. We get excited about like what we're going to accomplish for God. We're on fire and just all of the stuff. And that might go for a while. But then all of a sudden it's like all the junk just comes back again. It's because many times, again, we're focusing on what we're doing versus why we're doing it. And this is why God talks so much about dealing with strongholds. See, maybe this will help. I don't know if, how many of you have heard this story before. It's, it's been around for a long time, but it's the, it's the story of, that, that maybe help us like, make sense of this a little bit more. It, it's the story of um, the, the, the woman. There's a woman, she's cooking a pot roast, and she cuts the ends off both. If you've heard this before, cuts the ends off of, of a pot roast, puts it in the pan, puts it in the oven. Her friend's like, why do you cut the ends off the pot roast? It's like, I don't know. My mom always did it this way. This is the way we do it. This is the recipe. So the girl starts thinking about it. She's like, why do we cut the ends off the pot roast? She calls her mom. She's like, mom, why do you cut the ends off the pot roast? I don't know. I got the recipe from your grandmother. She always cut the ends off the pot roast. Okay. So she calls her grandmother. Grandma, why do you cut the ends off the pot roast? I don't get it. Grandma thinks about it for a little while because she hadn't made a pot roast for, pot roast for a while. And she says, she, 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 all of a sudden she's like, well, I remember. The pan wasn't big enough. So I had to cut the ends off the pot roast so it fit in the pan. Right? We focus so much on the behavior instead of asking the question, where did it come from in the first place? Right? Here you have generations removed doing the same action over and over and over again without ever asking, why do we do it? We just focus on what we do. And this is where I want us to understand about strongholds. Again, when we study scripture and we look at what Jesus taught, Jesus taught over and over and over again. And Paul did too. This very important truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? The emphasis on truth and the truth being our freedom. So, this morning, I want to process through before we get to the illustration of how we can overcome temptation. I want us to process through three main areas of strongholds. Right? So if we look at all the lies that the enemy tries to implant in us and the world tries to implant in us and the things that we've been taught, they're gonna, I, I truly believe that no matter what the lie is, it's going to fall into one of these three categories. Okay? The three areas that the enemy wants us and, and sin wants us and the curse wants us to question and doubt and have false beliefs about. The first one, if you go to it, is identity. Basically this, it's doubt or questions or a wrong belief system on who I am, right? The enemy desperately wants us to not understand who we are based on who God says we are, right? He wants us to have a a messed up understanding of who God has created us to be. Especially as Christians, this is why one of the number one things the enemy will try to do for us as Christians is tempt us to not understand or to doubt our actual relationship with God. God says that we are children of his, that we are saints, that we are redeemed, that we are new creations, that we are forgiven, that we are all of these things. And the enemy wants to sow the lies of doubt that deal with who we are. He did this with Jesus also. Here's the thing that's interesting about Jesus' temptation. 
In the accounts of Matthew and Luke, when you see the the fuller extent of the temptation, the temptation took place. Satan came and tempted immediately after Jesus' baptism. Here's something that's really significant about Jesus' baptism. When the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and the heavens opened up and God spoke, the Father spoke, he said, this is my son in who I am well pleased. The Father was announcing Jesus' identity, declaring, this is my son in who I am well pleased. The very first thing that Satan does when he comes to Jesus in the temptation is he shows up and he, he looks at Jesus and he says, If you are the Son of God, do this. Second temptation. If you are the Son of God, do this. Satan was coming after to sow lies of questioning his identity. Who are you? If you're really the Son of God, if he's really pleased with you, prove it. The enemy does the same thing to us. Constantly wanting us to question our identity. Who are we in Jesus? Who are we as a child of God? Who has he created us to be? Notice Jesus' response to that. The enemy comes and says, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Basically what I want us to understand when it comes to identity and the strongholds of our identity and the lies that the enemy tries to implant in us, it does not matter what you think about yourself. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't matter about what your family says, your friends say, your enemies say. It does not matter what celebrities say about anything that's important. None of that, none of that speaks to your identity. The only thing that speaks to your identity is every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. It doesn't even matter what you think about yourself. The only thing that matters when it comes to truth, when it comes to our identity, is every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Do we realize, I just want you to think about this for a second, do you realize that when God calls you beloved, when God calls you perfect and holy, when God calls you his child and someone he adores, when you question that, when you doubt that, when we actually have lies that we grab hold of, when it comes to that reality, we are actually calling God a liar. Because God says the only thing that matters is what I say about you. It doesn't matter what your past says about you. None of that matters. Only every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. The second stronghold of lies that he wants to get into is not just identity, but he also wants to get into intimacy. Meaning he wants us to start questioning who God is. Right? So he'll sow lies against who we are. He'll make us doubt who we are and lies that make us see ourselves different than what God sees us. But he also wants to sow lies that make you see God different than who God really is. Because he wants to mess up the intimacy that you have with God. Right? He wants us to question who God truly is and who he says he is. 
The next temptation to Jesus is he comes along and he says, listen, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself off of the temple because the Bible says that if you are truly the son of God, he will protect you and you will not strike your feet upon the ground. So throw yourself off and do this demonstration of power and let's prove God. Is God really going to do what God says he's going to do? That ultimately what Satan's saying. He's like, your father said this. He promised this. Let's see if he's really going to do what he says he's going to do. Satan was tempting Jesus to doubt who the Father really was, to question and manipulate. See, the idea behind this is Jesus, you know, he's basically telling Jesus, you jump and force God to do something for you. Force God, manipulate God, twist God. You can decide and and make God do what you want and bend to your will. You can cause the Father to do these things. And, And Jesus is like, listen, the word also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Right? Jesus is like, you're, you're not going to make me think that I'm greater than the Father. You're not going to make me think that I can manipulate the Father. You, you're, you're not going to drive a wedge between me and the Father. But that's what Satan was trying to do, is drive a wedge between the Son and the Father to separate them from one another. Because if he could separate them from one another, the plan of salvation would fall apart. So the enemy wants to sow lies in us that not only make us question who we are, he wants to make us question who God is. And he can do this in negative ways, but he also can do it in positive ways. Right? Because we can start believing false things about God. We can start believing lies where the Satan tells us, like, listen, God doesn't judge anybody. That you don't have to take it serious, the gospel, because God is love and God cares about everyone. And God, we don't have to worry about that and we can let that lie so within us. And next thing you know, we're not actually telling people, listen, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Right? Because he wants us to question who he is. Or we start sinning and we get pulled away from God or we feel distant from God and we start feeling like God is angry at us and he doesn't want us because now the enemy wants us to doubt that God truly forgives. He wants us to doubt that God really loves. He wants us to doubt that God has the power to save. He wants us to doubt that God has the ability and power to transform us. And we shrink back from God because he's sown lies that made us doubt who God really is. Especially when it comes to feeling distant because of rebellious attitudes and sinful behavior. We feel like God wants nothing to do with us. Instead, the truth of God says he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But for some reason, we think the lie is more powerful than the truth. And we follow the lie. The last one that he wants to sow seeds into us of lies to form a stronghold, deals with our purpose. He, He wants us to question what the meaning of all of it is about. What's the meaning of my life? What's the meaning of my existence? Why did God create me in the first place? He, he wants to sow lies in us to make it out that our lives should be mainly about our happiness and pleasure. It's about me. My life's about me. It's about my kingdom. It's about my wants. It's my desires. God should, God, that, should, that should be God's number one priority is to make me happy. And, and I should be able to take whatever shortcut I want to get to the thing that I want most. 
Because it's not about his kingdom, it's about my kingdom. It's, it's that I get to enjoy my best life ever. You know, he wants to sow those seeds thinking that this life is the most important life. He wants us to think that the 70, 80, 90, 100 years, however long God blesses us on this planet, he wants us to believe the lie that if we don't soak the most we can out of this life, we are going to miss out on something when God is up there going, don't you, the truth is, this is but a vapor compared to what I have for you. You're you're putting all your emphasis on a vapor that's gone in the puff of the wind. It's because I didn't intend for you to live just for the vapor. I intended you to live for the eternity. So he sows seeds and lies and creates strongholds that make us question the meaning and the purpose of everything. See, Jesus came to reign. That's why Jesus came in the first place. And so the last temptation is Satan comes to him, and and Satan knows that. Like, Jesus, your ultimate goal is to reign, to to take everything back that's been taken, and and to reestablish your kingdom. And that's why you're here. So his last thing is he comes and he questions Jesus' purpose. And he says, listen, we can can fix this right now. You came to reign. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. And then you can reign. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You can have them and you can be king. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. He was testing Jesus' purpose. He was sowing lies into Jesus, trying to get Jesus to take hold of a lie that says, your purpose is to control everything. Let's just make it easy and let's get it done. And Jesus looks at Satan and his last thing, he quotes the Bible again, he quotes the word of God and he says, basically, get away from me. Because you are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' last defense against temptation was to basically go back to the very reason for our existence. Our existence is to worship and serve and love God only. And Jesus declared the truth of purpose. Now, When we look at Jesus' temptation, we might look at Jesus and say, well, that's great, but that's Jesus. We look at Jesus' victory and say, yes, but that's Jesus. Jesus gives us insight into why he was victorious over temptation. At one point in time before Jesus is arrested and before Jesus is taken and, and crucified and all of these events happen, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, the king of this world, the prince of this world is coming. He's basically saying, guys, it's about to start, right? It's about to start. It's going to get real here in a second. He says, but here's the thing. The prince of this world is coming, but the enemy has no hold on me. Another translation, Jesus basically is saying, the enemy is coming, but the enemy does not have a stronghold in me. He has no claim on me. What Jesus is saying was, he has no occupied territory in my life. Because of that, I am able to go be that sacrificial lamb, perfect and pure for your sin. Because I don't have a stronghold in me that the enemy has taken control of, I can go die for the strongholds in you. 
The enemy has no part in me. He has no claim in me. He has no territory in me. So here's the thing. I want us to understand what strongholds are because now we're going to kind of shift gears and we're going to talk about how to overcome strongholds. Okay, that, that's what today is about is to overcoming temptation and to overcome strongholds and these lies that the enemy puts in us. So, so here's what I need. I need, um, I need my three or four younger volunteers. Y'all know who you are, so I need you up here. <laughs> this is going to be fun. All right. Hold on. Now, when I say we haven't practiced this, like realize they have no clue what they're doing. So here's what we need. I need one of you behind here. Okay? I need you behind the piano. And you take right there. <laughs> I told my daughter she had to be the one in front. And she was all cool about it. And then she comes up, she's like, I'm super nervous. I was like, really? It's, not, it's no big deal. All right. So here's the thing. Let's explain what all of this is. Libby is our Christian. She's us, okay? Stronghold, stronghold, stronghold. Demonic forces, right? The enemy coming after us. That's what you guys get. I didn't tell you you're going to be demons. <laughs> Sorry. It's cool. One of them's like, like I want to play the Christian. You notice how it's boys, too. <laughs> All right, take this. Okay, take this. All right, let's explain what's going on here. Go to the next slide. All right, so the Bible tells us, we're going to talk a little bit about the armor of God. We're not going to go into detail about all of the armor of God. We're going to cover that more when we do the Ephesians series. But for today, we're going to focus on a couple pieces of it. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so talking about spiritual attacks and warfare. The Bible tells us, God tells us, take up your shield of faith. Okay? Take up your sword which is the word of God. Basically, let's explain this, and then you guys get to do what I know you're looking forward to do. Um, is basically this. The shield of faith, let's, let's, you know, faith tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Faith is technically, when you think about this, this is our protection. When we take our stand, we build our lives upon the truth of God. Right? The truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who we are, the truth of our purpose, that's our shield of faith. We put our trust into the truth of God. We are called to pick up our shield of faith so that when the enemy throws his darts, we can extinguish them because we're standing upon truth. This is the truth of God. In addition, we're told to take our weapon, our weapon being the very word of God. So again, this is all centered around truth. Now, here's the thing. I, I really contemplated, like, how do I do flaming darts? You don't get flaming darts. You get flaming ping-pongs. Okay? So each one of you have a sack. Okay? So here, here, here's what... <laughs> here's, but we're going to be controlled about this. This is where I was like, chaos, right? <laughs> chaos. We still have another person coming up in a minute. It could get a lot worse. Um, okay. So here's what I want to do. We're going to start. You're going to throw only you, okay? Now, that's my daughter. Okay? Loving. Right? Care. Christ love. Your mom's back there, too. Okay. 
So what I want you to do is pick them up. I don't want you to, you're not trying to take her head off, okay? You're just kind of throwing them so that she can block. We're trying to make a point here, okay? So you, he's going to, and you block, okay? See, see, this is what, this is what, when we think about Christianity, we think about temptation. This is kind of the easy one, right? It's easy, easy. If temptation is that blatant, I can turn and be like, yeah, no, no, right there. Um, I can be like, throw that temptation to me. I'm blocking, I'm hitting it down with the truth of God. I'm doing this. But here's the problem. Temptation doesn't work like this. It works like this. All three of you throw. Oh, no, just, yeah, just chuck those suckers, man. Just, yeah, yeah. All right. He's like, I'm throwing multiples. Like, I don't care. I'm taking you out. Yeah, cease fire. Okay, you're not done yet, but cease fire. All right, so here's the thing, is that we're called to extinguish those flames, but the problem is, is that the enemy he comes at us at every angle we can possibly imagine, right? And he throws temptation after temptation after temptation. And while we can have the motivation and the desire to stand as strong as we can, which is what I'm saying, even as a Christian, we can sit there and say, I am going to stand on faith and I'm going to follow Jesus. When we try to do this on our own, we can't do it. It doesn't matter how big your faith is. We were not meant to live this life and be victorious on our own. And see, here's what happens. The enemy, again, he likes to throw, and and maybe you're defending here, but all of a sudden he's hitting you from someplace else, and you're giving in, and all of a sudden sin comes in, and then it just defeats you and defeats you and defeats you. And before you know it, eventually, I think there's a lot of Christians that we just get to the point where we just put down all of it. I put down my shield of faith, I put down my sword, and I'm just like, what's the point? And we just live in a defeated existence. He's like, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of resisting this. And we spend all of our time on defense. Here's the other thing I want to challenge us just for a moment. It's not just our faith and our trust in God. Do you know one of the number one things Satan loves about us as Christians? If he can make you biblically illiterate. And here's the thing, as Christians, every single one of us have the word of God, and there's a lot of us that have no clue how to use it. Um, I don't mean this to be mean, so please don't take it that way, but it's just truth. If you call yourself a Christian, and you're not in the word of God, you're a defeated Christian. There's, There's no other way to say it. Because what Satan really wants to do is he takes some of us, now hear me on this, he takes some of us, and we have just enough Bible knowledge to be dangerous. And we think, I know the truth. No, you don't. You know some verses. And Satan loves that because then he can manipulate in us. Because what he likes to do then is he gives us just enough truth to make it tickle what we think we already know. And then he feeds that lie that makes that stronghold exist because we don't know the word of God good enough. Right? We are called to be masters of the word of God. 
Because it's our defense, and we're going to see here that we're going to use it here in a little bit. So um, again, if you're a Christian this morning, and I just want you to think about this, is your Christian life just that consistent cycles of up and downs, up and downs, up and downs? You remember what I was saying? How you might have some down times, and then you go to a conference, or you go do something, and all of a sudden you get all excited, and you're like, yeah, I'm going back and defeating these. I put my shield up, and I'm like, I'm, I'm on fire. I'm going to take, it's all different. I've done it, Right? When I was a kid, it used to be called camp, right? Summertime, man, everybody's on fire for Jesus in summer. It's like, I went to camp. You come home, it only takes a couple months, and you're right back where you started. And then you always say to yourself, man, I can't wait till camp gets here. Man, when camp gets here, I'm going to get excited about Jesus because God's going to show up, and God's sitting there the whole time like, oh my goodness, I'm here the whole time. What's your problem? Quit believing the lie. But as Christians, we do the cycle, right? The ups and downs, the ups and downs. So go to the next verse. So scripture then tells us in 2 Corinthians, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So we're called to wage war. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are the divine power. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Right there is everything you need in how to be victorious over temptation. Because notice what the Word of God says. The Word of God says you have not been given these weapons to block temptation. It doesn't say you've been given these weapons to defend yourself necessarily against temptations. That scripture says you have been given these weapons to demolish strongholds. There's a big difference, big difference between this. Here's the thing though. We read that and we're like, yeah, I got the power to take down strongholds. So then we get all excited, right? So the thought is I'm taking out that stronghold, right? Right? She, she's all angry, fa- angry face. That's not an angry face. <laughs> He's smiling because he knows you, you're, you're in trouble. Here's what we do as Christians. We get all excited. We get all built up like, yeah, I'm going to take over. And we attack that stronghold. Attack that stronghold. Just attack it. That's about what I'm talking about. You can't do nothing to that stronghold. Right? This stronghold is more powerful than you. This enemy is more powerful than you. Here's what happens as Christians. We get all excited like, I'm going to grow and mature and I'm going to take temptation on and I'm going to fight it and destroy it and we attack. And then what happens is, even though we have the right intention, we can't do anything so we get frustrated and defeated and we just give up and we walk away eventually. And then we believe lies like this. Uh, It's just my cross to bear. Just the way God created me. It's the consequences of my past, and this is just the way it's going to be. Christians aren't supposed to be happy or joyful or have peace or any of those things. I'm in a fallen world. I can't be. We have all these lies, right? So we just give up. We just take whatever. So here's the thing. Jesus, before he was arrested, in two chapters of Scripture, talks about something very important to us when it comes to our victory and our ability to overcome temptation. Go to the next slide. 
Here's two of them. In John chapter 14 and 15, he starts talking this way. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Right? He's going to teach you everything that I've taught, which is truth. He's going to remind you of truth. That is his responsibility. And he's also the Helper. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Again, truth. Spirit of truth. If the strongholds are lies, Jesus is telling us the Holy Spirit is truth. Go to the next one. Same passage of scriptures as Jesus is teaching all this in John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus is hitting this hard. (laughs) Spirit, truth, spirit, truth, spirit, truth, lies. Christian, ineffective to do anything about the lies. Holy Spirit is the helper. Okay, Holy Spirit is the helper. Okay, so I need my last volunteer. Here's what gets really chaotic. Now, here's the deal. I know when you all have pictured the Holy Spirit. Now, what you're thinking? Dude, it's not your job to make the Christian scared. Okay. So, here's the thing the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us in the truth. Now, I want us to look at one last scripture and then we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does. Let's go to the next slide. We've probably heard this before. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's the problem. Many times when we hear that verse, we automatically think that the Holy Spirit's job is to give me power to go share Jesus with people. He has empowered me to share Jesus with people, to be a witness. Christian, church, hear this. The greatest witness you can have for Jesus is to be a victorious Christian. (laughs) The greatest witness you will ever have is to be a Christian that has demolished strongholds in your life. See, see, we think it's about he's going to give me the words and the power to get over my anxiety to go share Jesus with that person. That's not what that's talking about. That's saying the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the new life that Jesus gives us in its entirety. Not just the ability to share the gospel effectively. It's not just about us telling people about Jesus with our mouths. We need to do that. But the most important witness you will ever have is to live a life that is actually evidence of the gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So here's the thing, Christians. Ineffective in tearing down the strongholds. But here's the thing. What if we get tapped in to the power? You made a mistake. I, I was actually thinking that. I was like, have you ever made a decision? <laughs> and you're close to letting that unleash itself? Yeah, anyways. 
The Bible tells us as Christians we have been filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. We are sealed with the Spirit of God that gives us power. Now, Christian, ineffective. But what if the Christian truly submitted themselves and got out of the way and let the Spirit of God do what he's supposed to do? That's what we're called to do. Now, let's see how that looks. So, dude, he's, he's a kid, dude. So? He's a demon. He is a demon. He's a demon. Demon. Run. All right. So go. Attack that stronghold. All right. But here's the problem. You're still getting attacked from over there. Not a problem. Good job refraining yourself from throwing it out. I did say to him, I was like, listen, I want you to demolish the strongholds gently. I was picturing Ben coming over here just kicking them, like kicking them. All right, we got one more thing, one more thing before you guys leave, because this is what I want you to understand. We demolish the strongholds. The Spirit comes and demolishes the strongholds. I want you to understand something. Christian, this is what's possible in your life through Jesus. All the strongholds in your life can be completely demolished. Every lie that has been implanted in us and that we've chosen to believe can be demolished by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Every single one of them. But see, that doesn't mean that our fight against temptation stops. See, come here real quick. Really, you're not going to get close to him. I promise. Here's the thing. Once all the strongholds are demolished, it doesn't mean the enemy gives up. See, the enemy then looks for new ways to come in and try to set up new strongholds. So, enemy comes along, start trying to build your stronghold again. So he's trying to implant stuff. But here's our job. Do what you need to do. (laughs) Control. Right on. Let's look at how this plays out and understand this. If we look back at that scripture in 2 Corinthians, here's the deal. You guys, I'm probably done with you. I appreciate it. Give them a hand. Way to go. Here's the thing. Go back to that scripture in 2 Corinthians and notice how the order here works. The Bible tells us the weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world, right? Shield of faith, not the weapon of this world. The word of God, not the weapon of this world. The Holy Spirit, definitely not the weapon of this world. And the Bible tells us that they have the divine power to demolish the strongholds. That's step one, Christian. Our job is to stand against the temptations that come against us. Our job is to knock them down with the faith that we already have, right? And then as the Holy Spirit leads us into truth, as the Holy Spirit guides us into truth, he will then be the one to take us to tear down the strongholds. He will be the one to demolish the lies that we've built our lives upon. This is what Jesus talks about when he says, you don't be a person that's built your life on sand. Build your life upon the rock, right? The truth. In every aspect of life, build it on the truth. So scripture says that we demolish strongholds. But then it says, 
After we demolish these, we demolish the arguments and every pretension, uh, pretension that set itself up, up against the knowledge of God, the truth of God, the stronghold was set up. The Holy Spirit demolished it. But then scripture says, our job is to then take every thought captive that comes in and tries to set a stronghold back up. The fight never stops. The strongholds can be demolished, but the enemy's always going to be trying to find ground in us. And that's when our job is to take every thought captive that tries to enter in and pull us away from the truth of God. This is why we're called to stand firm and to resist. And this is why we're called to be vigilant and to pay attention to what's going on. Because we are called to not let the lies of the enemy seep into our hearts and minds at all. But first we have to submit and let the Holy Spirit do some tearing down of some strongholds. See, again, the problem is, is we've heard these verses and we say to ourselves, I try to take every thought captive. I try to do those things. I try to make sure that I'm not thinking about that kind of stuff or letting those lies in here. Here's the thing, Christian. It doesn't matter how many lies you take captive if you haven't let God tear down the stronghold. This is why we go through the cycle of trying our hardest, but failing. Now, I know hopefully we're, we're tracking, we're having a good time. I got one, get the video ready. Short video, but hopefully this will make sense and you'll kind of say, that's kind of what my Christian life is like. All right, here's the thing. I used to be a huge WWF fan, right? You ever seen tag team matches? And the guy's getting the, just the snot beat out of him. The Holy Spirit's like, tag me. Would you just tag me? And then notice where the Holy Spirit comes in. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. I mean, this is what our Christian life is like. We're the ones getting beat up all the time because we're trying to fight on our own. The Holy Spirit is like, would you just get out of the way? Would you just get out of the way? Tag me in because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear, tear all this up. And, and we're going to win if you just get out of the way. Do you realize, Christian, one of the number one reasons we are not victorious over sin and over temptation is because we get in the way? And the whole time, the Spirit of God is saying, would you just get out of the way and let me do that which only I can do. If you go and read the temptation account of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, we're not going to look it up, but I want you to know and read this sometimes. Luke includes some very interesting statements in how he presents the temptation of Jesus. What Luke says is he says these three things, Jesus, full of the Spirit, Right? That's how he starts it. Jesus, full of the Spirit, went into the wilderness where he was led by the Spirit. After the temptation, it says Jesus came back in the power of the Spirit. Christian, again, I'm speaking to Christians, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him and are a disciple of Jesus. This morning, are you full of the Spirit? Are you being led by the Spirit? Man, are you returning in the power of the Spirit? If not, get out of the way. 
Right? That's what the Spirit of God is saying. He's like, listen, I can win this. You got to tag me in. You got to get out of the way because you can't do it. You, you, You can't do it. It is impossible. Get this truth in all of our heads because even I struggle with this. You cannot overcome a single stronghold on your own. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You cannot be victorious on your own. Only by the fullness and power and leading of the Holy Spirit can we be victorious. Now, nobody's sat here and saying, man, that's a bummer. No, that's awesome. (laughs) That should inspire us in a way that we have never been inspired before. So, here's the thing. Go to the next slide. Go back to the scripture last week. It said, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Do you not hear it again? You can't do it. It's not you transforming yourself. Let God transform you. Submit. Get out of the way. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Christian, this morning, have you submitted to letting the Holy Spirit transform you? I'm not talking salvation. I'm not talking you believe Jesus died for you and you have been forgiven. This is another subject. We're not talking whether you believe. I'm saying, have we submitted? To saying, Lord God, Holy Spirit, you are the one that leads and I will follow. God does the transforming, we do the submitting. That's our job. Go to the next one. Here's two things that we have to do with, this, with, with uh, doing this, and, and, then, and then we're done. How do I submit to God? How do I submit to the Holy Spirit? Real simple. It's two things. One, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So here's the question. His job is to lead. Our job is to follow. Plain and simple. We follow the Holy Spirit. We follow where God leads. When the Holy Spirit says, let's demolish this stronghold, we don't just sit back and say, yeah, I don't want to. We go where God leads us. That's our number one core value that we say we believe as a church. We will go wherever Jesus leads us. We are running to keep up with Jesus. We are running to keep up where the Holy Spirit leads us. My question this morning for us is, is there things that you are refusing to do that the Holy Spirit has been leading you to do? Because he is leading, whether you realize it or not, every moment of every day, he is leading you to demolish strongholds. Here's the next scripture. So here's the two things we do. We follow where he leads. No, not that one. Where's the um, Galatians? Yeah, not that one either. There should be five one. There should be one more, hopefully. There you go. It is for freedom that Christ has set us. No, that's not the one I want either. Man. All right. Never mind. I'll just say it. First Thessalonians 519. We are called to follow where the Spirit leads. Where He leads us, we would go. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And then 1 Thessalonians does this. Do not quench the Spirit. 
Those are the two things we do to submit to the Spirit of God. We follow where he leads, and we don't quench the Spirit. So here's the thing. How do we quench the Spirit? Last thing. How do we quench the Spirit? We quench the Spirit in two ways. When the Holy Spirit starts moving, and we just stand there or sit there and say, I don't want to. Guess what? You just quench the Spirit. And I do that a lot. Spirit leads, I refuse to follow. That's quenching the Spirit. Because what happens is, is the Spirit says, all right, if that's the way you want to be, um, I'm just going to let you fight this for a while and let's see what happens. Because he needs us to learn, God needs us to learn that we can't do this on our own. So sometimes we have to be taught lessons and it quenches the Spirit in us where the Spirit says, all right, you don't want to listen? Go, let's go see how that works out. The other way that we quench the Spirit, and I'm guilty of this too, is not just refusing to follow, but I've actually been guilty of defending my strongholds. Right? Say, or, you know, the, the Spirit is like, let's demolish that thing. I'm like, no, 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 I like this thing. No. This is, my, this is precious to me. Don't touch that. And then what I'm doing is I'm not just refusing him, I'm actually fighting against him. These are the two ways that we can quench the spirit in our lives is refusing and actually fighting against. But now, go to Galatians 5.1. Last scripture. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, do you not realize that God has set you free? And he has called you and I to a life of conquest where we take hold of every aspect of that freedom. The problem is, is Jesus has already disarmed all of the strongholds. He's already defeated every single one of them. They're powerless. But unfortunately, many of us are not living in a way that we're taking hold of all the freedom that Jesus gives us because we're letting him remain. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Are you living, pursuing every aspect of that freedom? Because remember, when we don't, we're choosing to follow an enemy that wants to kill us and steal from us and destroy us. And, And Jesus says, I have come to give you life and give it in abundance. Why would we ever not take hold of that? But the enemy so desperately wants us to. Are you engaged in the conquest to know the full extent of your freedom? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your truth, and we just thank you for your presence this morning, your faithfulness to us. Lord, I know that a lot of what we've talked about over the last three weeks and even this morning is it's actually a a lot of new stuff even for me i can look at many aspects of my christian walk in life that i have not lived this way ah but lord let us get excited this morning excited about our freedom excited about you excited about our new life excited that our enemy is completely defeated within us all we got to do jesus is just let the holy spirit lead Submit ourselves to you. Let the Holy Spirit take control. Let him lead us and guide us into truth and take hold of those things. Let us chase after the freedom that you have given to us through your life and through your death and through your resurrection. Lord Jesus, let, it get, let us get excited this morning. That's, that's what I ask. Let's get excited. Let's get ready to take 
hold of everything you give to us and not allow the enemy to steal anything else from us ever again. Let us leave here with the truth on our hearts that we are victorious through Jesus Christ our Lord. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be witnesses for him by living the victorious life. We give you praise in all of it. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.